0: Hello and welcome back to Talking Talmud. I'm Anne Gordon here with my friend Anne chavruta Yardena Ozband. Our DAF of the day, Masachet Kitubot, DAF Ayin Tet, um, page 79. Dana, I'm kind of struck by the fact that we're making our way through Masachet Kitubot yeah, here.
1: like we're going to be announcing CM information soon. It's kind of crazy. Soon, right?
0: Meaning we're almost to DAF, you know, 80, 79 to 80, it seems like. Chugging along, okay. I'm gonna pick up the gemara here. I'm actually on the previous daf, not really because of the procedure here, pro- not really because we're making it up, making our way up to the higher numbers, but because the story that I want that's at the top of Ahmed Aleph begins on the previous daf. Ha There's a woman, right? There's a certain woman. So she's going to, she's supposed, to, she was going to get married, remarried after she'd been divorced or maybe widowed, right? It doesn't. She's going for a second marriage. And what she wants to do is to kind of separate herself from whatever rights that there might've been to her property. She wants to keep the second husband from attaining the right to her stuff, right? Maybe she was burned the first time, right? It doesn't say why. To have, so, what happens? She takes, a, she writes a document that puts all of the property, that's her own property, right, so that it shouldn't come into the marriage with her, and she gives it to her as a gift to her daughter. The daughter is not married. But then what happens? Then the daughter does get married. So, now of course, that property goes into the marriage with the daughter. But then the daughter gets divorced. Now the mother, who is presumably already married to her second husband? Now she wants the daughter to give the property back to her, to the mom, while the daughter says, "Well, no, you gave it to me as a gift, <laughs> whatever, right?" So we have here really a soap opera scenario from the beginning, right? That that's what's go- That's the basic case that we've got already drama built in. Atayle kamei the Nachman. So what happens? The mother comes before Rav Nachman for his assessment for a judgment. Kare Rav Nachman Rav Nachman tears up the document, meaning she, the document that she wrote that gives the the her gives the property as a gift to the daughter. Rav Nachman tears that up, as if to say, "You're right. There was no, there was no transaction here. The daughter doesn't get that property as a gift." So, Rav Anan went before Mar-Ukva. mar this time, is the exlark. And what does he say? He says, go look and see what happens. Rav Nachman, he says, Nachman the farmer, he takes off the rav, right? He's being rude in his description of Rav Nachman. Nachman the farmer tore up this document, meaning the implication of him being an idiot or an ignoramus or something, right? How could it be that he would destroy a legitimate document? Amar leh, easy so Marukva says to him, You know, give me the details. Tell me what really went on here. What was the actual thing that happened? So Rav Anan says to Marukva, You know, this doesn't such as what happened. So Marukva says to Rav Anan again, Are you saying that this was the whole document was? Mivrachat—it's like an escape document, a, a way to get out of something. So then he says, "This is what Rav Chanilai Baridi said that Shmuel said." Meaning, go back, going back in time, right? He says, "I'm an expert on this kind of ruling, and this is my this is my position. This is my ruling." If you come across one of these escape documents, right, some way of getting out of something, and it comes to my hand, meaning someone comes to raise questions on such a document, I will tear it up. Meaning it's clear that it was never really supposed to be a transfer of property. It's subterfuge. It's there to make sure that the property doesn't come into the second marriage with the mom, but it's not really going to the daughter the way she might make a different kind of gift to the daughter. So the, the point being, of course, that Rev Nachman is not you know, not doing the wrong thing in tearing up this document. So then, what happens? Amar le Ravler of Nachman. So Ravler comes and says to Rav Nachman, "Tama, my shavik inish So he says, "What? Why did you do this? Right? Are you assuming that it was not really, you know, a well-intended gift because because of this kind of principle that a person doesn't um, doesn't leave their own self interests." for the sake of giving a gift to other people, <speaking in Hebrew> meaning that would make sense if you're talking about giving property some to some random person. But when you're talking about a mother giving to her daughter, you would think that she would give that you know, with, with full intent, meaning parents are more generous to their children than people are to other random people. <speaking in Hebrew> so Rav Nachman says, you know, when her her preferences or her interests in the property are come in co- conflict with her daughter's desires about the property, then she's still going to take her own position. She's not going to put the daughter you know, before her. It, she's not really trying to waive the right. She's just trying to make sure that the property doesn't go into that marriage. So the Gemara says, we've got an objection here. The Gemara says, you know, when we have this this kind of scenario, we have a person who wants to keep her property from her husband, meaning that it should not join her in the marriage, right? So what happens? It says that she should write a document of uh, agreement or appeasement, something like that, and that the whole that the property should go to others, and then those people who get who have the receiving end of the document are agreeing to not make a kenyan on the property, so. On the one hand, it prevents the husband from getting the stuff, the property. But on the other hand, it's also not really fully acquired by the person named in the document. And that's, meaning Rav Ben Gamliel is big guns, right? This is what he says. But, however, the Chachemim say as follows. The problem is that the, the person named in the shtar, in the document, can play around with her, meaning he can put one... She's trying to make a subterfuge so that the property doesn't go to the new husband, but the person receiving her gift can then, you know, still um, mess around with her and keep the thing that he's not, or she is not supposed to keep. So then the governor says, well, the the way you avoid that, the way you make sure that the person you're giving the property to to doesn't double-cross you, really, right? that you write into the document, you say... From now until whenever the gift, this gift is in effect for as long as I want it to be in effect. And if I no longer want it to be in effect, then it is no longer in effect. And that kind of conditional statement within the contract itself prevents, or I mean, I imagine that somebody who really wants to, you know, steal from her or take it from her would still figure it out. But fundamentally, she's retaining the ownership of the item or the property for. Or where where it comes back to her in the future that it will be hers. Like, well, you know, there's a little bit more Gemara here, but I think that this is the basic gist of the the Gemari, the the from the scenario of the woman trying to make sure that her nechasim, her property that is automatically supposed to come into the marriage, right? And then the husband has the rights to its fruits and so on. Uh, you know, I I understand why. Not every woman wants that to happen. Right. So um, and and certainly somebody in a second marriage who may have more property or be more savvy about how to handle a second marriage.
1: So, yeah, I think what we're going to see that's difficult about this stuff is that in certain circumstances, the woman is basically required to sell the property. Like, in other words, she's really not allowed to maintain its ownership. So here this woman tried to sort of do a workaround where she sort of allows her daughter to you know, have it, but not have it. You know what I mean? Like, it, you know, like how do you let her, your daughter have it? So it's not really part of the marriage equation at all.
0: Exactly. All right. I'm going to jump to the mission at the bottom of the page. I know you're Dana. There's another two mission on this DAF. It's a really, it's a busy and chock full DAF. So I'm going to handle this mission. I hope a little bit quickly. Um, and anybody who thinks I'm handling it too quickly, please go over it on your own time. lak Safim. If a if a woman inherits money, um, while she's married, ilakach bahen karka, and so I'm sorry, and it comes with it. Uh, let me say this better. A woman inherits property, but the property is presumably movable property or money, something like that. And also together with that, there's land, vahu ochel perot, and her husband will get the benefit, the produce from the land, perotatushin minakarka bahen karka, vahu ochel perot. So the if she so the husband would get the produce of the land while she keeps the land, but if she inherited the produce that is separate from the ground, meaning not the land itself, but actually like you know, bushels of apples or something, right, then that's considered to be like money, meaning it's this movable property type of thing. And the land that's acquired with it, um it kind of it comes with it. and again, who the husband will get the payroll of it. Um now, what happens when you've got produce that is attached to the ground now this means like the apples that are still on the tree so then what you do is you evaluate the land see how much is it worth with the produce or without the produce um and that's how you can figure out then what the what the difference between them, right, that extra value there ends up going to that she will get the extra, right, she gets the land, and he gets the produce of it, he he will, it's a little bit, I'm finding the English to be a little more tricky because the payrot means the produce that would then be coming off of the tree, right, as opposed to the produce that is currently growing, in the ground or attached to the tree. So there right there comes a point where it's considered hers, and then there's a comes a point where the benefit of the property that she has inherited really goes to the husband. So all of that was Meir. Now what happens when it's attached to the ground? Shalo. Vatlushin menakarka shala so the Chachamim say that something that is attached to the ground is his because he's entitled to the produce from the property, meaning the land might be the property that she that she owns, but then any of the things that grow on it are his. But then when it becomes detached from the ground, that becomes hers in the same way that actual money or other movable property would be hers. So then what happens, the, she has those, detached property, the land comes with it, and he gets the produce that comes from the ground, meaning that grows from the ground, presumably like the next year, right? Meaning not all of this is in the, in one minute. Rabbi Shimon Omer So Rabbi Shimon says that if you're talking about a case where his, his right to the the produce, right? It it's a. Uh, it says here um nowadays in in modern Israel is like power of attorney, right? This idea that he has this right um, when she comes into the marriage, you know, then it's considered uh, superior, right? And then when she leaves the the marriage, you know, upon divorce, then his right would be lesser, and likewise or reverse really conversely if. His right is inferior when she comes into the marriage, and by the time she leaves, and he's going to have that much more produce, let's say, to his benefit, then um, then um, he is in a superior position. The, Gemara, the I'm sorry, the Mishnah explains this. Kate how is that done? Meaning the fruit. That is attached to the ground. When she comes into the marriage, they are considered his. And when she leaves, they are considered hers, meaning they're no longer going to be attached to the ground. Um for them, right? But I'm sorry, even when they're attached to the ground, it's still considered part of the property. He doesn't get to keep it anymore. But she Minakarka, but that which is detached from the ground, but kanisa tashala, that's when she gets married, it's considered hers. Like it says, like it's money, right? It's detachable, movable property, it's hers. Obeyatsi <speaking in Spanish> But since it came in with the marriage as money, then he gets he gets it, right? And when she leaves, she leaves it with him um, as, you know, he's entitled to that um in the way of a dowry. Now, I want to just note that the Gemara here goes on, and I'm not going to read it inside in the interest of time, but the Gemara goes the, the initial Gemara on this Mishnah goes into several different cases where the land would have been bought with money. And then the question is, you know, how are they going to secure their purchases? And, you know, what if there's houses there? What if there's trees there? Who's getting what when they come to this land? And what would happen Of you could inherit all different kinds of land, right? What happens if you inherit the woman? What if she inherits a forest or a pond, right? And how do you then evaluate what, the, what it's worth and who gets what? Meaning it's easy in my example of an apple tree, you know, to say the apple's on the tree, the apple's off the tree, the tree bereft of apples, but, you know, out of season. Um, But when you're talking about other kinds of settings, it becomes a little bit more complicated to figure out, you know, what's really considered the payroll. So that's part of what goes on in the next part of the Gemara. Yardana, over to you.
1: Yeah. So, I mean, again, what the staff is primarily dealing with is different Mishniyos that describe different types of, you know, property and what do you do with that property. So I'm going to move on to two Mishniyos that are here, which deal with other types of property. Um, so let's say she has elderly slaves or maidservants, right? The idea being that they probably can't work anymore, right? You sell them. The husband would then buy property with them, and then he gets the pay road whatever produce comes off of the land. says we don't sell them; it's not nice. They're like elderly servants. You know, it's sort of like these were the kind of workers who stayed in somebody's family for generations, and they're sort of gifted to the wife. Why would you sell them? It's not really about how much they can produce. Let's say she also gets old olive trees of grapevines. You sell them because the idea is they're not going to produce as much. And again, we buy property. And then he can eat that payroll. Again, for the same reason the Raven gave, Rabbi Hudd says again, we don't sell them because these are like it's her family's asset, you know? And so Revkahana says here in the Gemara, Amarkana Marav, Machlokichna Flubi Kormishum So Rav says the name of Rav. This really is only a you know, this is a machlokas about when they're really her fields. Like they have to be her family field. But if she got a field that like, if in other words, if the trees, the olive trees or the or the vines are in a field and she owns them, but not the land itself, then everybody would agree that, of course, she would need to sell them because it really doesn't have uh, uh, a lot of value. Um, and then Review of brings an objection to this, but that's basically what that mission is. And so I think this is basically talking about sort of like, you know, property she brings in as sort of like. Is like a legacy of her family, and, and she is supposed to sell it. Um, so the next Mishnah says somebody who pays, right, uh, like the like any costs that are incurred by his wife's property, right, like in other words, to improve it or something like that. If you paid a large sum, right, and only ate a small amount. Or let's say he paid a small amount to maintain the property, but he eats a lot. Right? Whatever he spent, he spent whatever he ate, he ate. In other words, he doesn't get anything returned to him. Like if he took care of this property, whatever he puts into it, he invested in it. Whatever he gets out of it, he gets out of it. Uh, Right? But uh, let's say he only paid expenses and didn't eat anything. If he takes an oath regarding how much he paid and then, you know, uh, you know, he can take an oath in terms of what he paid and then take out the, you know, the, the expenses. In other words, then he can sort of like pay himself back. So we will see exactly the Gemara. will talk tomorrow about like what is considered to be a small amount that he eats. So we'll get into that tomorrow. But again, The gemarge is basically going through, you know, sort of what is the relationship to different types of property that the wife could bring in? And then also when it is her property and stays her property, what does he need to invest in this property? What is the husband's relationship to this property? And again, this sounds like very complicated sort of estate planning. That's essentially what this parrot wants to deal with.
0: Um, If we include estate planning to be all the possible ramifications, right? Like it's not just... It's not just a simple case.
1: No, not at all. And again, I, I, I think we see that, you know, the these, uh, I, I don't know, today marriage seems much simpler. Like, I don't know people who like, go. I mean, I guess this is more common in like second marriages. These are not things that pop up so much with first marriages. You know what I mean? Like, that's also just what's interesting about it. Like, it seems this was kind of a baseline issue with any kind of marriage in the times so of the mission of the Gemara, at least the way that it's presented.
0: Yeah, I think also nowadays, a lot of these terms over who owns what, I think we're not as precise about that in terms of what, how many bank accounts does a family have? You know, like, I don't know yeah, that. That's it, meaning true. very many well, God fearing, halacha keeping not, people.
1: Right. Our wealth isn't in physical property anymore. So I guess that's really what the difference is. Our wealth is like, it is, but how it many doesn't. cows? How many cows? Right. How many goats? Right. How many fields do you own? You know? So I think that's also like a difference. Well, that's our DAF discussion for the day. Rank us, on all major podcasts. Thank you to Reverend E. Michelle Farber for hosting us on the Hydra website. Let us know what you thought about the staff on our Talking Diamond Facebook page. And until tomorrow, go and learn.